every time I was in a space like that, I just reminded myself, each person in this room is a future opportunity. Maybe they won't hire me today, but maybe six months, a year, two years down the road, that's someone who's going to say, hey, remember that time when we were in that space and that person offered that thing that was helpful? So for me, the driver and sustainability of building a business is providing value before you're asked to be of service. Welcome to the Mindset Coach Academy podcast. I'm Lindsay Wilson, and I am a high-performance mindset coach, a mom, a former professional athlete, and an entrepreneur. I help coaches and high performers optimize their mindset to improve their coaching, their performance, and those of their athletes, and their lives. Here, you'll learn all about mindset, how to live it, how to teach it, and how to sell it. Hi, all, and welcome back to the Mindset Coach Academy podcast. My name is Lindsay Wilson, and today we have a very, very special guest in Betsy Butterick. How are you? I'm great, Lindsay. Thank you for having me on. Oh, of course. It's always a pleasure, you guys. You are in for a treat. Betsy is an expert in communication. She is a former athlete, coach, and knows all the things about starting a business and being successful in entrepreneurship. So I'm really excited to start talk about that. And then I, you know, we never know where these conversations are going to go, but... I think talking a little bit about how to listen and communicate better would be beneficial for all of us, especially as mindset coaches that speaking for someone in this room, myself, (laughs) always thinks they have the answer and the advice. So learning to slow down and really hold that space for other people. I want to talk about that. But first, Betsy, if you would please let our listeners know a little bit about you. Sure. My background is in athletics. And when I meet folks for the first time, I like to say that I have a degree in psychology and a background in sport, but I'm not a sports psychologist. And I played all sports growing up. I ended up pursuing basketball and golf through college and golf by way of the fact that my basketball coach was a senior women's administrator when they started a golf team at my college. And she said, (laughs) oh, Bets, you played field hockey in high school. You should come out for the golf team. I said, no, coach, I I only ever have done putt-putt like mini golf. She's like, no, you'll be fine. And um, I was the worst by far on our golf team, but my pace of play was so good because I would jog between strokes. So I easily took twice as many as everyone else, but they let me stay on the team because my pace was good. Um, So I learned golf in college. And then I started coaching or was involved with basketball immediately after I graduated. I had the privilege of coaching 14 years of basketball camp for Tara Vandeveer at Stanford. And when I was in my junior year of college, um, that summer camp, she said, that's when you graduate, would you like to come back and intern with our program? So of course the answer was yes. And I interned at Stanford and then I went and worked in the WNBA at the Seattle storm for a year. The university of Washington took on an all new staff. So I got on staff with them. And then after that first year, got out of division one, becoming the assistant coach with Heidi Vandeveer at Occidental college, which is division three. And then after four years at Oxy, Heidi and I moved over to UC San Diego, which at the time was division two now division one. So I have experience in D1, D2, D3 in the WNBA. And then in 2011, I was working at Occidental and we had a tournament in the Bay Area. And I got a a voicemail from our athletic director after one of our games. And the voicemail said, hey, Bats, you know, if Heidi says it's okay, I want you to take the minivan, drive into the city, there's someone that I want you to meet. And our AD had come with us to meet with some donors and alumni in the area. So I drive up to this, this whiskey bar on an iconic, rainy, dark San Francisco night. And in the back, there's my athletic director sitting at a table with another woman. And I walk up and she says, Betsy, this is Sue. 
Sue coaches leaders, I think you have a lot to talk about. And I tell that story because that was the exact moment in time where I learned that something called coaching existed outside of sport. And as soon as I did, I felt that's, that's it. That's the thing. That's the thing I feel most called to do. And the joke while I was coaching basketball was always that I I liked basketball. What I really loved was people. And for me, coaching basketball was a, a meaningful way to be with people, especially at the college level during a huge transitory part of their life. And when I learned I could do that with others, that became the path that I pursued. So in 2011, I went to school for a year at a place called New Ventures West in San Francisco while I was also coaching basketball at Occidental. And then I began coaching coaches and I did both for about three and a half years and then stepped off the court in 2015 to do what I do now, which is working with athletic departments and teams on the topics that are most important to them, specifically as a communication specialist. And part of what I love about communication is with improved quality of communication, everything else gets a little easier. And because it's a skill, it's something that anyone can develop at any time. And yet there's no ceiling for how competent we can become as far as our level of communication. So I love being in that space. And you're also a mom. And I am. soon. Yes. Yes. So that's been, you know, we talk about the entrepreneurial journey, yeah. layer onto that, the parenting journey. And um, yeah. yeah, it's been wild. So, okay. So let's talk about, so a lot of people listening are aspiring mindset coaches. Mm-hmm. You are in the similar field. And a lot of people that are listening also have that sports background. So I'm interested in like understanding what your journey was. Like you planted the seed, you got like some sort of degree or certification in some sort of coaching, and then you jumped. Yeah. <laughs> Entrepreneurship. <laughs> now you have a successful yeah. because that was what, six years ago? No, 10 yeah. years ago. It was 2015 I left. So okay. we're we're not quite at 10. And I think I spent honestly the first at least six months letting what I didn't know get in the way of what I could do. Yeah. It was like, oh shit, what have I done? You know? Um I remember I was home, it was right after season ended in 2015, so in the spring. And at the end of each season, you know, basketball rules your life for a couple months. And so I'd gone home to visit my folks. I remember I was sitting at the breakfast table and my dad said, So how long are you gonna keep doing this? And I said, Well. I, you know, I think I'll give it at least one more year. And he said, that's what's going to change with another year. And I just started crying <laughs> because I knew that He's the answer coaching, was, right? like, talking about coaching. Yeah. Coaching. Like how long are you going to keep coaching basketball? Cause he knew, they knew that I wanted to do this thing, coaching people. And, had and you, the had truth, you done any work yet? I mean, had you, you know, done a workshop or had a client or I had not done a workshop. I'd had probably three or four clients um, okay. for three or six month programs. Yeah. But I mean, I could count on, one hand, maybe with the aid of two, how much work I had done in the space and no facilitation yet was not, you know, on the public speaking circuit. And so I was scared. And that's why I was crying because I knew I needed to leave and give up basketball to, to realize this vision that I had of, gosh, if I can help coaches be at their best, then they could give their best to the student athletes in their program. And in doing so, we could elevate the quality of the student athlete experience. That's what I wanted to do. And I didn't know anyone at the time that was doing that, that was just there for coaches that was separate from an administrator, a spouse or significant other, a colleague in the space. And I thought it was work that could matter. Mm-hmm. And yet I had no basis for <laughs> confirming that that was true, let alone that people would pay me for it at a, a sustainable living wage. So I left coaching and I'm typically someone who sleeps very well. And I think for the first two weeks or at least 10 days, I barely slept and the thoughts racing through my mind were, what have you done? Like this was such a dumb decision. 
you were at UCSD, you were living three blocks from Wind and Sea Beach in La Jolla. You have a wonderful head coach that you would coach until the end of time with. You have a team that you love and adore. What were you thinking? Yeah. And the thing that sustained me was, I think this could make a difference. Like, I think this matters. Yeah. Knowing what I knew about the coaching profession, seeing the ways in which coaches were wildly unsupported and still, still so, Absolutely. what it was being asked of them. It's like, this matters. And I, I, I have to make this work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my, uh, what made me do it? What made me take the jump? And then the fall, I mean, the fall lasts years. And people talk about the entrepreneurial journey being a roller coaster. And it very much is, except it's not over in two minutes. It, right. it, it's yeah. it's ongoing for years. And there were absolutely times where the self-doubt, the fear gremlins, you know, talk about mindset. Gosh, it would have been so great to have a mindset coach help me figure out or clarify the the thoughts in my head mm -hmm. that were separate from my heart saying, you can do this. And my head saying, who are you to do this? Yeah. You know, the imposter syndrome was huge. Why would anybody pay me, Betsy, who was a basketball coach, to help them with their communication? Like, I totally remember. I mean, I've been known you for yeah. a long time. I mean, I think we might have met at Stanford. We definitely met at University of Washington. Yeah. Um, and then I remember sitting with you in, um, gosh, where were we? Like, it was out of Final Four, I think. Yeah. But which, where yeah. was it? I don't, maybe New Orleans or something. I don't know. I remember you had just sort of jumped in. Like, you might have had a year and you had just mm -hmm. had like a clients and I and now look at you you have like a yeah. full roster and it's just so cool to see I just thank it's you so amazing thank um, you yeah and so okay so tell me so but so how helpful was it so one of the things that we teach is with our ultimate mindset coaching toolkit is like so many coaches are sitting there with knowledge and they want to jump into something whether that's mindset coaching or communication or facilitating workshops a lot of them have access to people that need whatever it is they can provide, right? Whatever mm -hmm. their expertise is. And they're sitting on the sidelines instead of like running a session, mm -hmm. you know, like taking somebody through an exercise that you know, or a, a doing a workshop, if, if you want to do that, or one-on-one, -on -one, whatever it is. Talk to me about how important, and maybe if you look back and wish they were better, of sitting with those first few clients before you took that jump, like as far as what you learned, as far as the confidence, as far as the like, yes, I want to do this yeah. experience. Like, because I feel like those first few clients, whether you got paid or not, doesn't even really matter. That idea of like, I'm sitting in the expert chair. Right. A little right. wobbly. I'm not sure I'm yeah. in the chair. Missing a wheel. Here. Yeah. Talk to me about yeah. that. And I'll say, Lindsay, I think that part of my, what ultimately contributed to my success was being able to sit in that chair and yet move that chair so I'm sitting alongside the audience. Mm -hmm. So having a background as a coach, immediately I have credibility that's separate from anybody else that would teach the exact same thing because yeah. I know what it's like to be them. Yeah. So if you're someone that's listening and you're already in that space where you have the shared experience of your peers, please lean into that because that's absolutely an asset that's irreplaceable in terms of experience. We know that relatability to an audience is a key to opening their ears to learning what it is we have to offer. So I think that coming alongside that partnering with is something that was intentional for me and also helped selfishly damper down a little bit of that, that imposter syndrome, that fear of who am I to be the expert? I was just sitting where you're sitting, you know, six months ago. Um, when you know something and you know it has value, What's interesting with coaches I found is we, we don't know what we don't know. We know what we're being asked to do. We have an idea of what might be helpful, 
But unless you've experienced it, it's very hard to articulate, I need a mindset coach. I would really benefit from this activity or exercise. And so what can be in coaching, we always look for openings. Sometimes an opening comes because something isn't going well. Sometimes an opening comes because there was a question or a conversation that created a possibility that didn't exist before. And so being aware of and, and looking for opportunities for an opening. So even if let's say you're having a casual conversation with a colleague that you know, and you aspire to be a mindset coach, but maybe you haven't taken that leap yet in a formal way. And they mention a challenge that they're happening, that they happen to have with an athlete or with their team. Offering into the space, you know, I don't know if this would be helpful, but would you mind if I shared a, an exercise I've done in the past that I think may be beneficial? Usually coaches will be like, oh sure, that'd be great. And then you take them through what you would do, or you give them an example of what's been successful. And all of a sudden they have a possibility that didn't exist prior to your conversation. That possibility creates the opening for more. So maybe they leave that conversation. They say, hey, thanks. I'm going to try that. And you say, yeah, if you do, if you want me to write it down for you, you know, just shoot me a quick email. So you do it once. And then what happens, the ripple effect that happens away from that conversation is really how my business has built to the level that it has today. And I remember speaking, um, I think it was the final four. So it was the final four for women's basketball. You're not paid to speak. You pay to come speak. So right. you have to cover your transportation and your, your, your room and, and you submit your application, your registration, and, and then you're given an opportunity to speak if you're selected. And I remember thinking, gosh, it's costing me to do this. And yet every single person in that room, whether it was 20 people or whether it was 200 people, Every time I was in a space like that, I just reminded myself, each person in this room is a future opportunity. Maybe they won't hire me today, but maybe six months, a year, two years down the road, that's someone who's going to say, hey, remember that time when we were in that space and that person offered that thing that was helpful? So for me, the driver and sustainability of building a business is providing value before you're asked to be of service. And for me, that took an early form of the ACT video series. So on YouTube, I have short videos. They're called Active Communication Techniques, ACTS, and they're three minutes or less and designed to give anybody something that they can do today to improve the way we communicate and connect with each other. I started recording those videos in part because I didn't have any clients. So you know, I had a lot of free time and I, I thought, okay, how can I get people or give people more specifically an experience of what it would be like to work with me or learn from me without them ever having met me? And so even not knowing anything about marketing, and I think part of my journey too has been being very self-critical of not having an established business background, yeah, yeah. not having you know tools or resources where I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing in terms of branding and marketing. No, I didn't. But I had a really good sense from my coaching background of what coaches needed or what would be helpful. And so starting to put those tools out into the space before anyone asked for them, that started to create the identity of me being a person of influence in the space. I mean, there's so much here. Okay. So I think so many coaches come into entrepreneurship with this idea that they have to know something about business yeah, or marketing or selling. And we have like these blocks, almost like it, this is kind of like, and I might be projecting a little bit, but um, it's almost like the extreme of like, we're like the dumb jocks or something. Yeah. It's old school like mentality because we haven't worked in an office, you know? And it's like, there are so many things that are transferable. Like I've talked, so many of my clients, like their experience recruiting is like, oh my gosh. Really, it, it, yes. Know, yes. Absolutely. That. Yeah. Um, 
But I think what, but with, with that, so I think overcoming those thoughts and then the idea of like, we can't charge, there's a whole lot of money stuff with coaches as mm -hmm. well. I want to talk to you about that. But that idea that like, what you just said is so crucial of like, well, first of all, you said the things that you are good at, not letting them get in the way of the things that you don't know yet. Mm -hmm. But also that idea that you really understand the problem. You went from yes. one person, which is a coach, who you understand like the back of your hand because you are one. And not trying to like, I'm going to take this out to the world. I'm going to talk to the coach. And you were speaking specifically to that one person. Talk to me about that. Because that was, yeah. I don't think you knew it, but that was genius. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and it's... It and that was what I knew. So genius or not, I, I decided to make a full commitment to working with what I knew and helping the people that I wanted to help. And that was always my commitment was, okay, I want to support coaches. Okay, well, how do I support coaches? If no coach is asking to be supported by me, what can I do that's useful or supportive for them right now? And this is the, the difference I think that I see often when a coach steps out of coaching and decides to do something like consulting whether it's in leadership or culture or what have you, sometimes because of that um, imposter syndrome of that fear of who am I to do this, it's almost like they overstep and now they're coming into the space saying, I am better than you when I used to just be you and I have this knowledge that you need and you don't have unless you hire me versus I understand you and I wanna partner with you to do this thing that I know is really hard. Like there's a very distinct difference in feel when you position yourself as someone who has knowledge that can be helpful versus someone who has knowledge that is grander and bigger than the person that they used to just be colleagues with. Um, when you talk about like <laughs> not knowing what you don't know um, and having, I, will, I, I feel like I'm the poster child for you don't have to know a thing about business or marketing or branding to be successful. I've learned things along the way, however, the best marketing I've ever done is consistently showing up and being of value before you're asked. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think about, you mentioned recruiting, Lindsay, and one of the things I often think about is when someone reaches out, let's say they fill out the contact form via my website, we set up a call, there's no charge for this call. I am getting hired in the very first conversation. Whether I give them any quote unquote knowledge, their experience, of me in that conversation before there's ever a proposal is what makes or breaks whether I get hired or not. So thinking about the fact that every conversation you have, and I, I love the book, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. And one of the quotes in there is, um, I have it on my, usually have it hanging up, but I just rearranged the office a little bit. I might butcher it a little, but the, the gist is, um, no single conversation is guaranteed to change the trajectory of a life or a career or an opportunity, yet any conversation can. Like no conversation is guaranteed to get us what we're aspiring for or what we're striving towards, and yet any conversation holds the possibility to change the trajectory of our life, personally, professionally, or of somebody else's life. And that's what's so cool is as an entrepreneur, Maybe, you know, you can call it naive, but you get to live in this world of possibility. Yep. You get to create things that did not exist until you brought them into existence and offered them to others. And then there are years that go by, and this is what I didn't know until I was a few years in, 
I'm putting out the act videos and I used to be so obsessed with like how many people like it, how many people oh, watched crickets. it, does it matter? Right? The, crickets. Oh, the crickets are a symphony of fear <laughs> and shame and self-doubt. And then years later, Lindsay, I would have someone who either eventually hired me or I run into at a conference and they said, oh my gosh, I loved your act videos. I've been using them with my team for years. Or they'll say, hey, like I've been following you for so long. These are people you did not know existed that you didn't know it mattered to and they're listening. So just if you're starting on this journey, I want to offer what you don't know, like don't measure your success based off of what you don't know. Put out into the universe what you know is good and of value and do that consistently. If there's any branding, marketing, business advice I can offer, that's it. Well, and without act, without wanting, which is hard, without wanting those immediate results. You can want them. Especially I'm just now. not going to give it to you. You're going to get them. Yeah. Well, especially now, it's like we look for yeah. the likes and the watches and the clicks and the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, first of all, I want to put the, your, the link to those videos because I, I remember those. They were great. And yeah. you just were doing them. Like, yeah. you just did these videos. You offered value. And like, I think the, our propensity to want to get some results, find out who's watching or listening, or is it, you know, that immediate, like, is it working, right? That's yeah. a very natural human experience. And it's like, yes. you can't know, you can't know. And yeah. then the, the long tail on that is so long that you may not it's know. So it's so long. It's so long. And I, I remember, I think this was like around act 10. I was living in Austin at the time. Um, my, my sister and I were sharing a two bedroom apartment. She had gone to work, I'm home alone, and it was act video day. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna film this act video. How many did so you do, take, by the way? There's 40 currently. So I've slowed down on, on making them since our daughter came along um, and work has picked up. I'm excited to get back to them. And, and when I travel, people be like, oh, do you have an act video on this? Or you should do an act video on this. And, and so I'm always sourcing ideas. Um, I remember stepping out of the shower, so it's an empty apartment. I have my towel wrapped around me and I just peek my head out of the bathroom door and shout into the living room, makeup, where is makeup? Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm playing the long game of like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so great one day when I have like a sound studio and I have a team that's there to support making this look wonderful instead of it just being me. So as an entrepreneur, yes, there are so many ways in which we are going to judge our perceived success or failure. and if it's unknown, we have a choice. We can choose to lean into, you know, I haven't heard from anyone about the video and that doesn't mean it sucked or that doesn't mean nobody cares. It could also mean that people, you know, are, are watching and taking it in and storing it up for when they come back later and say, oh my gosh, that meant so much to me. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing. I, I yeah. remember watching you do those and I was like, well, she's got it, man. Like, that, <laughs> I'm glad you knew that. <laughs> like stay in that track to do 40 of them and just yeah. keep putting it out there. Like I'm, I just recommitted to, to posting in my Facebook group that I, for mindset coaches that I've, it's a private, but free group. And for a long time, I am like, ah, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to use this. What should I do? And I just had this like kind of block with it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to commit to this many weekly videos and like, I'm just, it's because I know that that's what they need to know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's care, the thing, like care people comment, I'm doing yes. it for me because I know yes. that they need to hear it. Yes. Whether or not what you put out there is validated. And this would be a guidepost for any entrepreneur, entrepreneur starting out. If you know that what you're offering has value, put it out there. 
and let that be enough. And I realize that's a very hard ask to make when we want that validation, especially when we're just starting out. Trust that if what you have to offer has value, that it matters, period, full stop. And then put that on repeat. The confidence of continuing that though too, like you stayed very specific. You know, you didn't like bob and weave all over the place. You didn't say, well, I'm not getting uh, coaches lined up. So maybe I'll talk to the athletes or maybe I'll talk to the athletic directors and let me like, well, communication isn't working. So let me talk about leadership. Like you stayed the course, which takes a tremendous amount of discipline because we always get a dopamine hit when we change and do something new. Right. And it works. And it's like, yay. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That felt really good. Yeah. And I'm expired and I'm excited. And like, like, I'm very impressed with you being able to stay the course on 40 videos, talking to the same person about roughly the same concepts. Um, because a lot of people dart all over the place, myself included, you know, it's taken me years to be like, nope, I'm only speaking to this person it takes a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of discipline. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm definitely impressed on that. Thank you. And maybe it was, um, you know, we think about incoming freshmen at the college level and they don't know what they don't know. So maybe we're going to play the rival and we haven't beaten them in eight years. Well, this is their first time playing them. They don't know. So they're not nervous <laughs> in the same way that returners are. And I think that uh, happened for me in the entrepreneurial journey, not knowing anything about business, not knowing what I quote unquote should be doing or the metrics around it allowed me the freedom to simply create and to put forth. Not having a path also allowed me the freedom to to not know whether I was on or off path and just to keep going. So I think that's where a lot of the the confidence came from. And I say the word confidence and please know there was and still continues to be a lot of self-doubt. I've become very confident in what I do well and the value that I provide. And yet, you know, at the turn of the year and we're having kid number two on the way. And while business has grown incrementally over the last couple of years, I still have no way of knowing exactly what my income is going to be. You know, there's a few retainer programs, they're speaking at conferences, there's ongoing work virtually and in person with different teams. And yet, I don't know, there's no guarantee that people are going to continue to show up and say, Betsy, we would love for you to work with our team or Betsy, I would love for you to support this coach. It's unknown. And in that unknown, there's always fear. And the moment I feel fear is when I remind myself that I have the choice to be grateful, that, gosh, it's wonderful that I get to live the life that I'm living that I get to create my own schedule, that I get to do work that matters to people, that also is deeply fulfilling for me, that in my small corner, I get to make a difference that impacts the world. Like, how lucky am I? And if that ended today, I would still feel just as lucky. I think that leap is really um, such a big one. And I think it's, it's um, you know, the Instagram sort of view of it is like you're, you get to like type away the lot you know at the coffee shop working on your own business and how yeah. wonderful is that and yet the idea of like i think as athletes we're used to like the immediate scoreboard like mm-hmm. immediately like we're winning or losing yeah like, that's it <laughs> or we're tied which means we need to do something different <laughs> yeah we're, 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 yeah we're gonna and we're gonna make those changes now you know yeah. Whereas like entrepreneurship is a lot of winning and losing and we're, we're trained to, to deal with that and the ups and downs, but it's kind of like playing without a scoreboard because it's that, you know, it's, we don't know quite we have to trust the process even more to know that if, you know, right now we're working to win in six months, mm-hmm. how do you deal mm-hmm. with sort of trusting that process and, you know, I mean, managing your thoughts around that, because that could be really debilitating. It could be very unmotivating. It can be, it could cause all kinds of procrastination stuff and self-sabotage. Absolutely. How do you deal with that? Do you get support, yeah. you get coaching? Like what, 
how do you keep up? You know, the psychological component of keeping up. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say first it wins sometimes. And I had a post, I think in the fall where I hadn't posted in a while and I could feel it was this pressure, this, this stress that was constantly in the background, like every day that clicked off the calendar that I hadn't posted. I felt more and more pressure and more and more guilt of you're not being a responsible business owner. You're not showing up in the way that people have followed you, expecting you to show up, right? And then recognizing also what were the reasons that I wasn't showing up in that way? Because when I had time off the road, when I wasn't on a Zoom call, on the other side of my office wall is my daughter's room. And being a parent changes you. And like there is very little that is more important than the person that's on the other side of that wall. So could I spend half an hour making an Instagram post? I could, but that was a choice about time that was taking me away from this little person who is on a running clock called life and I will never get these moments back. And so it's making choices and then being not just okay, but at peace with your choices in the space. And this is a a wonderful woman by the name of Marlene Bjornsrud lives here in Colorado Springs as well. Um, I've known Marlene for years. She's been a a dear friend and mentor. And I remember when I first took the leap to leave coaching, she said, Bets, you're in the space between no longer and not yet. And over time, I've learned to honor that space with patience and love and reverence. And I like to believe that the universe and I have a very great relationship. Um, Every time I feel like I'm pressing or I want to know, it's a reminder for me to take a step back and to allow what is and what will be without efforting. And it served me incredibly well. Um, some nights there's wine, you know, other nights there's like crying. <laughs> some, sometimes I call my parents, you know, I'm, I'm great friends with, with my folks. And um, I, I've been blessed to have a very supportive partner um, and a lot of people who, who believe in my ability to do this work. So in those times, you know, talk about the roller coaster. So if we're talking about the, the bottom of a hill. Um, where we don't know how we're gonna climb up to to pick up momentum to do the next thing. Being really intentional about how I treat myself and my thoughts Mm. and the way that I care for this developing thing. And you make the analogy, it's like if a little kid is learning to walk and they stand up and they take a step and then they fall down, we're not gonna be like, ah, you suck at walking. Like, why are you even trying, right? Don't do that again we would help them up and we would help them try again. So almost treating yourself like that little kid. If you're starting an entrepreneurial journey, that means you have yet to do this. Right. And not being good at something yet and the power of that word yet does not mean that you won't be good at something. It means you're in process and you're learning. And gosh, what a a space of possibility that is. It can also be a, a space of pain and depression and doubt and holding space for all of those without it having to mean something. Oh, right. Really sad. Yeah. I think that, um, that space also, I think as high performing people that, you know, want success, that's who my clients are. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Us coaches. The suspending the need to know the how in that space, I'm interested in, in how you've done that because I know you've done that because every yeah. entrepreneur has to do that. You know, the, the, you said the not knowing yet, the, the, the wanting to know how, excuse me, especially when you take a leap of faith of leaving a job or that, um, how have you 
been able to deal with that because that is a very real desire. This answer comes in two parts for me. The first part is I've trained it. One of the things that I had to learn how to do when I was in school to become an integral coach, which is a fancy word for saying I take a whole person perspective when I work with other people, is I almost had some unlearning to do. So what made me a really great coach in sports would not serve me in the same way when working with people. Part of my journey in the year that I was in school was, and this was specifically my task for the year. So our first session, there's 20 of us in the class. We're in class for four days, 10 hours a day at four different times of the year. And then we have remote work and and small pods. But at the end of that first block of four days, each of us was given by our instructors a, a task for the year, a focus. And the woman to my left was, uh, she was 54 at the time. She was, a, she just self-described as recovering HR. So she'd been in HR for a long time and now she was looking to, to work proactively with people. And she was um, a woman of uh, Indian descent and had been the dutiful daughter for, for most of her life. And so her task for the year was a year of orgasmic pleasure is what she was being asked to lean into, like find all the things that give you joy. And so I'm like, sweet, like this is going to be great. I can't wait to hear what mine is. And I get my challenge for the year was to sit with suffering, my own or others, without moving to fix it or change it. Okay, this is good stuff. Here we go. And it was like, well... Shit. <laughs> like, like she got the I mean, orgasms. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so like crazy. what? But I thought, no, okay. Um, so that was my my task. And I couldn't have been gifted a better opportunity because I always thought that my optimism was an asset. And I believed the best in people. I saw the best in people and, and I coached to that to bring that out of them. And what I had to learn is in doing that, I needed to also cultivate the ability to meet people where they were. And oftentimes when people are in search of coaching or find themselves in need of support from another person, they're not in that like super positive place. And so instead of simply trying to move them from where they are to where I thought they could be, could I be with them wherever they are and not move until they were ready? And some of my homework activities, the practices were watch depressing movies, like start with Schindler's List and go towards more depressing. Um, Go sit in the waiting room of an ER at the children's hospital. Um, just things that were incredibly painful, but also helped me develop the patience with uncertainty, with fear, with sadness. Um, I'm a very empathic person, and so I, I feel things deeply. And that was absolutely the work I needed to do to be able to serve others. So when you ask about it in an entrepreneurial sense, the waiting part, the not knowing, I've practiced, I've trained how to get more comfortable in that space. Is it still uncomfortable? Yes, but I'm so familiar with it that I know what that discomfort is and I don't have to take immediate action in it. I can simply stay there. Mm-hmm. The other part is I do not always take my advice. Like <laughs> What I coach other people to do, <laughs> I so quickly sometimes forget. And I remember it was last year, I was on the road, um, I was speaking at a conference and I had gotten a voicemail after I spoke from an athletic director. And something had really gone awry at a school that I was supporting. And I remember I called my wife and I said, you know, this happened and I don't know what to do and I want to do this. And, and she stopped and she said, hold on a second. Are you in your boat right now? 
because there's a story I tell about controllables and uncontrollables and being inside your boat or outside your boat. And she knows that story really well. And I was absolutely outside my boat. Like I was trying to influence things that I do not control. And I was like, ah, no. (laughs) And it's like, we need those people, those guideposts, those anchors to bring us back to ourselves and remind us where we are in our journey and, and where we are even in a moment or a situation. So I think the truest answer I can offer is I've, I've trained it and I practice it and I still practice it. And sometimes I'm not good at it. And it helps to be reminded that I, that I do have a choice in that way. I definitely want to talk about that holding space. I know we don't have a ton more time, but I, before we get into that, I wanted to go back to your first few clients, uh, how you got them, whether you're, what you, what you offered, if you're willing to share what you charged, like that whole like let's say making your first, you know, 5,000 as an entrepreneur, like that is a hard, that's probably the hardest 5,000 you will ever make. Yeah. Yeah. Like you remember how you got them, what you did to get them, how you, I mean, it's just the whole thing, whatever you remember. That's a really interesting part of someone. I remember very distinctly after I left coaching, my very first client was a athletic director, one of the associate ADs at UC San Diego. So Katie McGann, she's a good friend of mine. Um, she's still there. And she was the best first client I could have hoped for because she was so skeptical. And I couldn't have asked for a better client in that way because it made me be on my game as far as when I, when we had the first discovery conversation and then I put together a draft of her personal development plan and it had our purpose statement and the six or seven outcomes we were working towards in the time that we were going to be working together. And I think at that time, I think I was charging like $125 an hour for coaching. And I had put Katie on, I think a six month program where we were going to meet a certain number of times a week. And I just lumped that into like, I think it was $2,500 for six months. And so at the time I was like, oh my gosh, like A of all, I've never really made money in this business. B of all, I've got like a client for six months. C of all, this person who, she was a friend. I mean, we we knew each other from when I had spent three years working at UCSD. We'd hung out socially. Um, and, and we also had to have that conversation because part of the rule of coaching is don't take it home. Like don't coach your spouse. You're going to figure it out there. Don't coach your friends. You never coach without an invitation. She had given the invitation. And I remember one of the toughest questions she asked me is, am I going to like who I am after we finish working together? Mm-hmm. And that was a great question to ask because the answer I gave her became an answer that I use routinely when I'm talking about the possibility of coaching with someone, which is, I'm not here to change you. I'm here to give you options so that if at any point you decide a change would be beneficial, you have the skills and abilities to make those without needing to rely on anybody else. And so there were so many ways. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say there were so many ways in which Katie was the the perfect first client because she challenged me in ways I hadn't been challenged before that allowed me to provide information that that people really want to know at a much earlier point in the coaching conversation. And how did you even get to that point of a consultation? Like, did you say, hey, I'm, I'm now a coach and I want yeah. to be my first client and I yeah. 500? I mean, that's had a deal, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a blog at the time, which has since been, you know, it used to be on MailChimp and called something else and now it's different. And um, so Katie was on my blog list and I'd I'd written a post about my transition of leaving coaching and and doing this thing full time. And I was still living in San Diego. And 
So Katie knew that I was doing this and she also had reached a point for herself professionally where she was trying to figure out some things as far as her path and next steps and could use some support. And we had such a great working relationship that she thought, okay, you know, you could be someone that I feel comfortable enough to do this vulnerable work with who also is skillful in the space. Um, prior to that, the coaching clients that I'd had were all word of mouth. So part of my year long coaching program, the first six months we were getting coached by the leaders of our program. And then we were asked to take on guest clients. So we had to take on three to four guest clients. And so I, I started where I was and I was at Occidental at the time. So I simply asked coaches in our department, hey, you know, I'm working on this thing. And if any of you would like to be coached, I need some some guest clients to work with. So it was free for them, but it gave me experience. And then moving from there, you know, I remember the second client after Katie was one of those guest coaches that I had worked with at Oxy, had a friend that was a coach and was trying to figure some things out. And they said, hey, why don't you give Betsy a call and see if she might be a good fit for you? Um, and that that's really how it's built. I mean, it wasn't marketing, it wasn't taking out, you know, ads, which can be great, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn, if that's something that's beneficial, absolutely do it. There's no one right way for me personally to make this happen. The best marketing I've ever experienced is doing a really phenomenal job with the task in front of you to the point that people talk about you after you've left. And even if that person that was in the room doesn't hire you, they have a conversation with someone that you might never meet. And that person shares something and they say, oh, Actually, I was in this session with this person. You should look them up. And now they're on your website. Now they follow your Instagram. And now another two months go by of they're just watching what you put out there before they make that call or make that ask. So you never know. Um, but that's how it started was letting people know what I was up to. From the workshop side, the very first workshop I did was back at UC San Diego. And I called the athletic director and said, hey, if you're open to it, I would love to come and do a free workshop for coaches and one for administrators on communication. And that was the very first time I did championship communication. And, and I did two, no, two 90 minute sessions for free. And I think the next event I did was the final four. And I went and I did championship communication at the final four. Um, I remember when I was living in Austin, I worked part-time at Delta as a ramp agent. And that's anyone you see outside the plane when you're coming in or taking off. So, you know, loading bags, driving the ground service equipment, walking the plane in and out. In exchange for 12 hours a week, I could fly standby to anywhere in the country. And so that job enabled me to fly to places I couldn't then afford to get to so that I could have free opportunities to speak. That's and the hustle. that was the hustle. And I, um, I also got a part-time job working remotely with a company in San Francisco called On The Go, On The Go Technologies. And there's a, a wonderful name by the man of Pierre. It's a very small company, like eight to 10 people but he had designed a series of workshops specifically for tech companies in the Bay Area. And I remember applying for a position as a copy editor because I love words and language. And Pierre, the CEO, responded to my, my application and said, it seems like you're completely overqualified for this position. However, um, I'm giving a workshop in San Francisco. Would you like to attend and see if it's something you'd like to learn to facilitate? So I went, I met Pierre, and then I learned how to facilitate that first workshop and I ended up learning four more. And so I became a facilitator for Pierre's company. Now, does that have anything to do with my chosen topic of communication or with sports? No, but what it gave me was years of experience in front of rooms of people to be able to hone my public speaking skills, my presence, my delivery, handling audience objections and questions. I also at one point joined the team for um, Own the Room. 
So Own the Room is a company that does presentation and executive training for presentations and speakers for CEOs and executives. So lots of Fortune 500 companies, which gave me the opportunity as part of a team to work with execs at Facebook, at Google, at Qualcomm, at Oracle, um, at LinkedIn. And so again, I'm, I'm learning material that's not mine, but I'm practicing the thing that I wanna do really well in my own business. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're involved in the grind or the hustle, it's like looking for, okay, maybe this isn't the thing I really wanna do, but doing this thing would help build my skills for this area of my business. And if you cobble those things together, even though you yourself aren't getting hired to do exactly what you wanna do, you're absolutely building skills that will benefit your business in the future. It's so beautiful. I mean, one of the things we teach is fish in the pond you're in, mm. then you start expanding and then the world yeah. basically opens up. But I think, and this is where I'm kind of interested in your experience, that fishing in the pond you're in, oftentimes in my experience watching people starting their business, they often miss the opportunities right in front of them because they're scary. Yeah. Having a conversation with the AD and, and telling her you were going to charge her 2500 which was a bargain now that you, now that you know yeah. your price, real prices, but probably at the time felt like, oh my God, I could never ask somebody for that much money. Yeah. Well, even now, I mean, he's right there. Yeah. My spouse calls it our beer meeting because the first time we had this meeting, we were at a brewery where we we're talking about my prices. That's been the hardest thing for me personally, because I know resources at different divisions. I know for most of my life, I've been living paycheck to paycheck. So it's hard for me to charge what I value. And in the last year, I had two individuals say, Betsy, we appreciate what you charge. And I need to tell you, you could be charging so much more. Like we just hired this person and they were awful and it was this price and whatnot. And so it's like, I'm still working really hard to get comfortable with that. And we just had this meeting a couple of days ago and my spouse threw out a, a price for one of the services I offer. And I was like, that's so much money. Like that's way too much money. And she's like, why? Like, why? Betsy, do you understand the value that you give? Having that conversation, a couple of truths I've had to learn about being an entrepreneur is people don't, people can't accept what you don't offer. So you might be nervous about creating that post that that feels, you know, self-promoting and is because you are your brand or you are your business. And yet if people don't know it's out there, they can't actually purchase it, which no, sounds really that. black and white and simple. <laughs> and yet that's the hurdle we don't cross. So calling the AD at the school I used to coach at and saying, hey, I want to come do this thing that I think might be a value and I'll do it for free. Is that scary? Yes. They can't say, Betsy, come do this thing if they don't know that it's out there and available. And so whenever I feel know, fear, it means something. Yes. Like, no, there's so many different reasons. And I've applied this to different areas of life too. If I don't hear back from a client after I've sent the proposal, let's say we have a wonderful conversation and I don't hear back. I've gotten really practice and not making it mean that the price was too high or that something happened in the conversation or that, you know, they found somebody else. Like there are so many reasons that I've come across in life that have nothing to do with us. Like, unless you know everything about their life, please reserve making judgments about why they've yet to hire you, because there is so much that we don't know, and it doesn't help us energetically, confidence-wise, to buy into stories that may not be true. Yeah. This is amazing. I mean, I, I think there's a whole lot of, I think we need to do a whole other session. I think we need to do another session. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. the entrepreneurial journey that you've been on. And your personal growth through all that is like so fascinating for me. And I, I know where you're at now, or hopefully I'll get a little more details after we get off yeah. 
like where you're at now and where you started. And like so many people listening to this are either at those first couple steps. Some of them may be a little bit further down if they've got through our certification, but a lot of them are like thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering what sort of advice maybe you didn't have for your former self or what wisdom you've, you know, gleaned over these years on like remembering what that those first couple clients, what that feels like, the mindset hurdles, like what do you have to say about all that? It's really scary. It's really scary until it's not. And it's not that sending the proposal, like I still, especially the big ones, like when I hit send on that proposal, I'm like, oh my gosh. And my thought is always like, what if they say no? Or what if like, you know, but again, just the, we can criticize ourselves for the things that we didn't do or have yet to do, or we congratulate ourselves for the, the risks that we take. And being an entrepreneur is risky. And I think now, and this is one of the reflections that I have looking back, I totally get why so few people get to the space that that you're in, Lindsay, or the space that I'm starting to occupy where we have the freedom of choice, where we own our own business, we set our own hours, we choose the clients that we say yes and no to. Um, we can take time off if we wanna take time off without asking permission from anyone. Like there's so many hurdles that you have to get over, but my gosh, like, it's so, I feel like it's rare air. Like it's, and I'm not talking about like, Betsy's, you know, wildly rich. I'm talking about the gift of time. Like we can always make more money in some way or another. We cannot make more time. And the freedom of choice around time that having your own business, that being an entrepreneur gives you, not immediately because it takes so much of you and from you. But when you get to the point where you're able to relax a little and settle into this thing that you've built, I can't think of anything more special. Like, and and especially if you have a family, like that gift that you're giving to other people of your freedom of choice about how you spend your time. Yeah. Um, if you feel fear, like think about those things. Um, and and just know that the fear, oh gosh, it's so normal and it's a part of it. And to not make the fear mean anything negative. Yeah. Like if it's scary, it means it matters. Oh. Yeah. If it's scary, it means it matters. And if you think something, if you're having those thoughts about like, nah, I don't know, but I think follow it, like, just see, just see. Cause right now it's not a thing. And if you try it and it doesn't become a thing, you haven't lost anything. You're right back where you were, but man, if it does become a thing, mm, that's cool. I feel like everything we've talked about and so much of what I teach, like boils down to that, like people on the fence of you know, doing something that they maybe even feel called to, right? And it's yeah. like the fear is either like, oh, this matters and I really want to do it. And I know that if I don't, I'm going to regret not going for it. Or, oh, it feels scary. So that's my brain telling me I shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you interpret it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them is right. It's yeah. Like when I think about sitting on a fence, I'm looking at our back fence right now. It's like, that would hurt a lot to sit on the fence for any amount of time. Like, just get on one side or another. No judgment about yeah. which side you're on. But let's get off the fence because that's not a, a good place to stay or, you know, that's not sustainable. Well, um, you started, it, it's like you get off the fence, but it doesn't mean you're like jumping into, you don't have to stop your, quit no. your job. Like you had those first few clients, you got the training. Yep. First. Yep. Like, I think that's also like this misnomer of like, well, you either need to start your own business all in, quit your day job, or you never yeah. know to do it. I mean, I coach coaches 
for three years while I was also coaching basketball. And then I reached the point where I was like, you know what? If I'm really going to go for this, I need to stop doing the other things so I don't have divided attention. You do come to that point at some point, but it's just my not yes. be the first step. Yeah, it doesn't. And please don't make it the first step. Like, because that can be really scary. If you haven't built anything yet, but we're going to leave everything else behind, that can feel terrifying. And I get it. And you don't have to do that. If right. that's a perception that you have a belief currently, explore that a little bit. Get curious about what could it look like to just start a little bit, like to dabble over here. You dabble. Know? Just dabble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Betsy, I always enjoy your talks and I feel like your Me too. is just so palpable and, and your vulnerability. And I'm so happy that your business is in the place where you want it to be or where you, you want to be right now. Yeah. Um, because I've seen that journey and I know how much that takes. And I so Thank you. appreciate you sharing with our listeners because Thank you. I know at least one person, if not thousands, are going to listen to this and be inspired to do something scary that they've been putting off. That's what this is all about. Yeah. And thank you for allowing me the space to share that. And to anyone listening, please let me be, if you don't know anybody else, let me be the person that says, I am a normal, like average person. And yes, there are certain skills and abilities that I've developed over time. And yet if I can do it, you can absolutely do it. If you have something to offer the world, please let's see what it is. If it makes the world better, even just in your own mind, like explore it. Let's figure that out. You don't have to know. You don't have to know. Let's just see what happens. How can people learn more about you? You can go to BetsyBetterick.com. All of my social media, you can connect to through there. If you want to go on YouTube and put in Betsy Butterick, those ACT videos will pop up. But my website would be the best, easiest way to connect with whatever is um, your favorite space to, to follow along. Perfect. Betsy, thank you so much for your time. So appreciate you. And thank you, Lindsay. You watch your continued success. Yeah, and let's do this again soon. This was fun. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, if you loved this episode, make sure to check out all of our free and paid resources over at positiveperformancetraining.com. You want to take mindset training to the next level? We got you. But here are three more specific ways. If you want to take mindset training and live it more in your life, definitely subscribe to this podcast. We send out bonus episodes. We have our mental Mondays. We have interviews and training episodes. Definitely subscribe. If you want to teach it, meaning taking it to your athletes or your clients, I highly recommend Psychology of Competition. Again, you can check that out at positiveperformancetraining.com. It is a great course that will teach you and your athletes how to have pre, during, and post-competition routines to up your performance. And if you want to learn how to have a mindset coaching business in order to sell mindset coaching, highly recommend signing up for our waitlist for our next certification cohort, which usually opens about once a year. But in the meantime, go to positiveperformancetraining.com and check out our ultimate mindset coaching toolkit. Well, it will show you exactly how to get started with your first mindset coaching clients. Again, go to positiveperformancetraining.com for all of our free and paid resources.